Welcome to Crossing Over, a conversation where we look and listen with curiosity for God's presence in the stories of sacred scripture and in our own lives. I'm Sarah Nichols. And I'm Daniel Lucas. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing all right. We always talk before and then to ask like how it's, how it's going, it's like loaded. <laughs> it's like what we just talked and we talked about good stuff and hard stuff. And yeah. I feel like I just started a Dr. Seuss book. Good stuff and hard stuff, sad stuff and bad stuff, fun stuff and fun stuff. <laughs> this is why we don't write children's books. Or why we should. Maybe. So um, Ruth, Naomi... Yeah, we're in chapter three. First one. Yeah. Do you want to read the chapter? Yeah, I do. Okay. Um, Naomi, her... Well, wait. Hold yeah. on. So, Naomi and Ruth are back from Moab. I'm doing a previously. Um, uh, yes. Right? Naomi and Ruth are are have returned from Moab. Naomi's return is a return home to Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. And Ruth's a return for the first time to Bethlehem. Ruth is a Moabite, which is bad, bad. Um, they they come back from from Moab um, with less than they had hoped. Uh, menless, <laughs> childless, menless, childless. Uh, which, <coughs> excuse me, which for then is, you know, pretty critical things for how life worked. Yeah. And so uh, they're trying to figure out life, trying to figure out how to, how to not just have a future, but have a present and where to get food from. When you're in an agrarian society, and they're the built the built-in methods are are different than they are now. Mm-hmm. Um, charity. Well, anyhow, Naomi meets this person named Boaz, who is connected to the family. Did I say that? And Ruth meets Boaz. Yeah. Yeah. And Naomi's like, "Oh, you've met someone who's who." who could potentially uh, do really good things for our future. There's a future with with connection to Boaz. And then like you had just said, now up to this point, Naomi had kind of been going with the flow. And now she's um, grabbing the reins a little bit more. Yep. Is that fair? Oh, yeah. And it, what, what did I miss? I mean, I missed a lot, but... yeah. No, I think that's good. I mean, it, it, there's been a period of provision for Ruth and Naomi um, due to the harvest. They've been gleaning in the fields, or Ruth has been gleaning in Boaz's fields. But the the harvest time has come to an end, um, which means now they, Ruth and Naomi have come to the end of their uh, provision, and not entirely. So, but, the, so gleaning's more gleaning's more day to day. Well, I think gleaning is, it's seasonal, so mm. because it's during the harvest. Once the harvest is over, and you might be able to pick up some scraps for a few days, but it's it's all going to be gone. So what they have now is what they have 
until the next harvest, essentially. Sure. Because there's no way to gather more. Um, so the so question is, could you gather enough during the harvest while gleaning to have enough provision for the winter? Correct. And maybe it's possible to do that, but when when you're gathering scraps, right, um, that's difficult to create what you need for the winter. Right. And we know she's Ruth has been given some extra by Boaz, but we don't know how much, you know, that you can assume that even if they have enough to get through, it's it's going to be a lean time mm-hmm. because you've got to you got to make it last until the next harvest. Um, mm-hmm. Which, so I, I see the the two women in this moment that they're kind of like, okay, we've been provided for now, but now looking ahead, we need different answers. Mm-hmm. So that worked in the short term, but long term we need yes we need something more stable. So from there, Naomi, and this is verse 1 of chapter 3, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her daughter, I must seek a home for you where you may be happy. Now there is our kinsman, Boaz, whose girls you were close to. He will be winning, winnowing barley on the threshing floor tonight. So bathe, anoint yourself, dress up, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not disclose yourself to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he lies down and go over and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what you are to do. She replied, I will do everything you tell me. She went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law instructed her. Boaz ate and drank and in a cheerful mood went to lie down beside the grain pile. Then she went over stealthily and uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, the man gave a start and pulled back. There was a woman lying at his feet. <laughs> Sorry. The laughter is not in the text, but it feels like a fair reading between the lines. There's a snake in my boot. Who are you? He asked. and he re- And she replied, I am your handmaid, Ruth. Spread your robe over your handmaid, for you are a redeeming kinsman. He exclaimed, Be blessed of the Lord, daughter. Your latest deed of loyalty is greater than the first, in that you have not turned to younger men, whether poor or rich. And now, daughter, have no fear. I will do in your behalf whatever you ask. For the elders of my town know that a fine woman you are. But while it is true, I am a redeeming kinsman. There is another redeemer closer than I. Stay for the night, then in the morning. If he will act as a redeemer, good, let him redeem. But if he does not want to act as a redeemer for you, I will do so myself as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. Should I keep going? Yeah. Okay. So she lay down at his feet until dawn. She rose before one person could distinguish another, for he thought, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Hold out the shawl you're wearing, and held it while he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her back. When she got back to the town, she came to her mother-in-law, who asked, How is it with you, daughter? She told her all that the man had done for her, and she added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying to me, Do not go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And Naomi said, stay here, daughter, till you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle, but will, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Yeah. 
your face. Uh-huh. I'm, I, I like the whole time I'm, I'm, I'm giggling because mm-hmm. I'm like, what is, what is, what is going on here? What's going I, on? So, <laughs> to address the elephant in the room, Awkward. after reading that, um, this I think can be a difficult chapter in the Bible for modern evangelical Christians. Um, because in a culture that values purity almost above all other things, at least that's how I was raised in the evangelical church. Um, the truth is this is a highly sexualized chapter in the Bible. (laughs) And, um, there are some different viewpoints on exactly what is intended here and what's going on, but it's really hard to ignore, um, in the Hebrew, some of the sexual innuendos that are going on and, um, yeah, and since we don't t- try to dance around the difficult things, we try to deal with them. We're just gonna right. acknowledge that, and um, it is gonna be a part of what we're talking about today. Because, um, yeah, it's a real active part of this story. So, um, and I think for me, one of the things um, I think it can be really easy for us to put our Western evangelical purity lens on this chapter and want to read it in specific ways and interpret it in ways that undo what's in the text. And so in order for us to come uh, faithfully to the text, we have to kind of let go of some of our own preconceived notions and expectations about what would be okay. Sure. Um, So we can, um, especially thinking about what good biblical characters do and don't do. I think it's a big big piece of it for me. So Well, and, you know, I think, what has to happen is we have to really like juxtapose uh, moral good against uh good loving compassionate future good yeah that there's there's one version that's icy and cold yeah and it's just such a strange chapter because i do wonder how much of the innuendo is innuendo how mm-hmm. much of it is just a sex-obsessed culture that, I mean, I didn't hear any of this stuff until the last five, ten years about Ruth. Yeah. So, you know, that doesn't mean it, it was invented. But for me, that's what I, like, that's the question I have. Yeah. Um, it seems pretty charged. Yeah. Um, especially just given what I, what I know about. I mean, we have when Naomi and Ruth come to town, it's the women who all talk, right? There are there are rules that govern who can and cannot talk to whom. Right. And so this seems to transgress. And there's even the notion of that, right? Like he sends her off before you could recognize someone so that nobody might see. Right. So even if, right, even if there's nothing that's happened in between them, there's the, there's the, the appearance, appearance of it. Yeah. So... Um, so I think the innuendo, yeah. I've just worked my way back to like, yeah, I think there's... Yeah. I think, um, well, we'll dive into this a little more, but I, the innuendo is definitely there. Um, how, what happens and <laughs> there are some things that people have done with this text that probably that don't have as much grounding. So people have taken it farther than it needs to be. So sure. um, I don't know if that's in this desire to make it to just go against purity culture and the damage that it has done to some of us. But um, 
like swinging the pendulum too far in the other direction and wanting to rattle feathers or whatever. But, um, but we're going to try to deal with, with that to, to an extent. We're not going to, we're not going to do all of the, all that we could because it's, we have a limited time, but, um, but there are also within this chapter, there's a lot of, uh, throwbacks to things that have happened earlier in Ruth, um, plays on the certain same kind of words and stuff like that. So we'll kind of just, we'll go chunk by chunk and, See what we see. All right. Okie dokie. Okie dokie. Um, so the first thing that kind of, and, and some of this will play into what a theory about what Naomi may or may not be doing here. Um, but what stood out to me in verse one was Naomi says, I will seek for you a settled place. Or I think your version said a home. It's resting. It's, Mano- it's, it's Manoach, right? Yeah, it's Manoach. Yeah. Um, it's the same thing, Ruth. Um, or Naomi wants to do for Ruth back in verse what in chapter one, verse nine, when she says, um, she sends Na- or Ruth away, Ruth and Orpah away so that they can find a settled place. Right. So this is a main goal of Naomi's for her daughters-in-law from the very beginning. Um, at the beginning, she thinks that for them to find a settled place means going back home to their mothers and their families but now that Ruth has made the choice to come with her, she's still determined to find a settled place for Ruth. And so whatever feelings she may or may not have had, whatever was existing between them as she arrived in Bethlehem, yeah. and she said, I went away full, I came back empty for how Ruth may or may not have been missed. When we start here in chapter 3, verse 1, we have Naomi making it very clear yeah. how she sees uh, Ruth, yeah, because she's doing what a mother would do for her daughter, right? Like, right. that this Ruth's mother-in-law is treating her like a daughter, not a daughter-in-law, right? It's, I mean, even the language here. Her mother-in-law said to her, "Daughter, daughter yeah. not daughter-in-law." Right. So what this shows is a, to me, the language even sets up a noticing here of adoption of. Mm-hmm of welcoming, of care that goes above and beyond what would have been required socially. Right. Yeah. So, and you mentioned Manoak is the word here, and it means, it literally means a resting place. Um, It's from the same root that Noah's name is from. So that's just an interesting little side note. But, um, but metaphorically, this means home um, or place to settle. Um, It's also used for marriage. So for to find a woman, a, a monoach, a settled place, is for her to be settled, she needs to find a marriage um, because that is finding a home for her. Um, so there's definitely this, we need to get you married. We need to get you married off. Um, and, and part of the reasoning, so this is still verse one, is that it we, would be well for you. And that word well is tov, which I don't... Have we talked about tov? I mean, you and I have. Well, yeah, but okay. <laughs> um, tov is the the word for good in Hebrew, but it kind of goes a little deeper than just being good. Do you want to say something about it? Um, tov is about life. Yeah. It's about good things that do good in our lives, in the lives of others, in the world at large. And part of where Tove really fully actualizes, and here I'm borrowing quite a bit from 
uh, Rabbi Alan Ullman, um, but it begins to actualize itself when it when it functions generatively. So when it's generating good, right? So so good, in a sense, is um, has generational implications or the potential for generational implications. It's it's not just a single solitary explosion of light at one particular point of time, but it's those things that come into bringing that other bring other things into being. And trees are a perfect example of this, you know, fruit tree. Mm-hmm. So a tree bears fruit. The tree that bears fruit contains the seed for the next tree. And when you have a tree that has begat another tree that is bearing fruit, you start to see tove goodness actualize in the world and this is the seed of uh, of david Um, this is the seed of of christ this is the seed of i mean right like we have here the beginning of something deeply significant that will bring good things to countless and boy oh boy it doesn't seem like it right now. Right. So. Yeah. Absolutely. The um, that tree stuff and the this definition largely comes from Genesis one eleven through twelve. Um, it's the second time good is used in scripture. Um, the first time is after day one when God saw the light and the light was good. But in the in verse eleven and twelve. The trees aren't called good until after they start producing. Um, and so that's part of where this comes from. It's this idea that once things start producing what they're meant to produce, right. they're seen as good. So there, um, I think there's definitely a connection to Genesis 1 here and just the fruitfulness and goodness that can come. So then in verse 2 through 4, there are a few things that Ruth is asked to do by Naomi. She's to prepare herself. Like there's this whole bathing, cleaning. <laughs> like To me, I, like it sounds like this is the, a bridal activity in this culture. You're laughing. Sure. Uh, all, I mean, I'm, all I'm thinking of is like Naomi's telling Ruth how to get ready for the club. <laughs> Like, how to get ready to go out yeah, uh, and be a fisher of men. Or she has a teenage <laughs> son who you have to remind to bathe every day. <laughs> Not that that is my experience. <laughs> okay, but wait, 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 yeah. wait, 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 wait. Did you skip to like four or five? Uh, I'm, in, I'm kind of in verse two through four altogether. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Because okay. that whole threshing thing is fascinating. Oh, do we want to go back to that? Well, I what just, okay. what I think is, I, what I think is really important to talk about here is that the, like the process of the wind, which is, you know, the Holy Spirit wind function together, both just in the metaphors and in this, right? Like there's a rushing wind in Acts, um, but there's a shared, the word's shared. So wind is spirit, spirit is wind, ruach. Mm-hmm. It's right. It, it it's the same. So there's this shared space between these things, and and the winnowing of the barley is sort of roughing it up and getting it ready. And then when the winds come through, when 
they, they toss it up in the air and it, it drives away the chaff. It drives away all of the, the protective casings of the seed. Mm-hmm. And, and now, I mean, we're, t- we're actually in the language of Psalm 1 here, right? Um, where the, the chaff is sort of drawn, uh, is driven away by the wind is, or the spirit. And I, <clears throat> I, I love how there's moments like these in Scripture where you have, you have a, a very real thing that's happening that comes with almost like a parable or a metaphor or it offers comments on what's ha- happening in the inner life of these people mm-hmm. where this is the, their Ruth and Naomi and maybe Boaz and maybe all of Bethlehem. I don't, you know, cause this is all happening quasi publicly too. Like not, I mean, obviously what's happening that night is private esque, private ish, but right. Like Boaz will say later, like everyone in town knows that, that Ruth is a, is a person of quality. Mm-hmm. So you've got some of this story that's playing out very, very publicly. And you have, the winnowing of their lives. And then you have the, the presence of God, the spirit of God blowing through and taking things away from them, which, you know, full I went, empty I returned. Like, is that a threshing? Was right, is this sort of threshing floor moments for her? And then you start to step into the complexity of it all because it's not like, you know, her husband and her sons were just characters in her life and everything rotates around her. Like, there's more than just her story going on here. And I don't want to... I don't want to just reduce them to that. But dot, 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 you have the winnowing barley, threshing floor, plopping down in a moment of Ruth and Naomi and maybe Boaz and maybe the whole community's life where there's something really beautiful, something very future happening here. Yeah. And it's and it can be hard. Yeah. Getting to the future can be hard. Yes. Yeah. Okay, sorry. I just... That's okay. I wanted to... Yeah. Um, no, I think that was important. Thanks for not letting me skip ahead too fast. <laughs> so, um, so in this process of winnowing themselves... Ruth is asked to do a few things. And one is this like bathing and anointing herself, which is something priests do before they serve. It's, um, but it's also, um, in Ezekiel 16, uh, there's this image that of God preparing this young woman. It's, he's speaking of Israel and as a bride and part in, uh, 16, nine, then I washed you with water. I thoroughly washed the blood away from you and I anointed you with oil. And this is done in preparation for a marriage mm. um, between him and Israel. Um, and so I think there's there's good reason to believe there's this. You're preparing yourself because she's seeking a home for Ruth, a settled place, which would be involve marriage for her. And now she's going through this washing and purification and anointing process so that mm. she is um, beautiful on the outside and and clean um, before she goes in. Um, and then she's told to not be known to the man till he has finished eating and drinking, uh, which we know in 
the Bible being <laughs> to know someone is to have sexual relations with them um, over and over and over again. Um, and so um, this is being, no, being known by someone in the biblical sense is has a certain connotation that it could be it could just right there's late yep. there's a possibility that this could not be sexual. There is a possibility it could be not but, sexual. But what's at the like the the root of this notion, and I don't mean of the word, but maybe mm-hmm. is implied intimacy. Yeah. Uh, knowledge, a knowledge, a a deep knowledge of Yes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we know that so in in uh what verse is it 7 that he eats and drinks and was a good cheer mm. when he lays down which means he's maybe not drunk but he's tipsy. Right. <laughs> well, and it's so, so pretty curious, good like wait till <laughs> wait till he's intoxicated until you're known to him. Like there's there's for sure just some like charged stuff. Um she wants, at a minimum, it seems like Naomi wants Ruth to wait until he's, uh, his inhibitions are down a little bit, where he's going to be more yeah, uh, amenable to, to Ruth. It just seems like the thing that has to, has to, has to be acknowledged here is, and whatever, you know, like, feel what you want to feel when you read this. Like, if you read this and you're like, this is sketchy. Let it be sketchy mm-hmm. and then make sure you stay connected to this is the seed of goodness for like like this. I don't think Ruth, Boaz, and Naomi. Okay, if Ruth, Boaz, and Naomi don't show up well, it's not game over, right? But their yes is their, what they're, what's happening here in the, in the book of Ruth the good, bad, and the ugly, or the moral and the immoral, or the things we approve of and don't approve of, whatever whatever you want to say about it is, what you can't argue with is that Ruth is in the genealogy of Jesus, and not just like in some list, but she is, like God is showing up in the very human imperfect stories, and is not waiting for perfect situations or perfect people in order to get involved about bringing goodness, justice, love, peace, wholeness, restoration in our world. If you wait until that can come out of you, you're going to be waiting forever. Right. The, 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 the point is to get in the game. The point is to start moving, to start bringing yourself right. and making room for what God's doing. And yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So the next thing Naomi asks her is to uncover his feet. Um, which, so uncovering is also usually highly charged. Some of the, um, the first time we have this uncovered thing come in, it has to do with, uh, it's Noah actually, um, Mm. when he, after the flood and he is, he, he is uncovered or, and there's this whole thing with his sons and like covering him up or not covering him up. And to be uncovered means to be exposed in your nakedness. Um, and there's this whole like list of things throughout Leviticus that where it all has to do with uncovering is equated to nakedness. <laughs> yep. Um, how far that's meant to go in here in Ruth is hmm. of question. So there are those that claim feet means something else. <laughs> sure. 
Um, there's from, I don't know. I mean, you can find sources that would, that can make the argument for it. I've, there's other sources that I trust like Robert Alter, who says that there's really not anything justified in assuming that feet means the other thing. So, um, but, um, but he does say that, um, that normally the uncovering the nakedness of nakedness of someone is involved with sexual intercourse. Sure. Um, so he does say that, um, you know, there is an erotic tease going on in this passage. Um, even if he doesn't think it goes as far as what some people, um, some people might suggest it's, it's undeniable that there's something, there's an erotic tease going on Mm. in the language of this, um, of this passage. Um, there's an overture. Yes. Yeah. Um, and an overture in the text to the reader or an overture that, that Boaz would have received. Yeah. I, I mean, it would seem that way. It seemed he gets what she's pointing at. It seems to me that at a minimum, Naomi is trying to take their fate into their own hands. Yeah. And there are some that suggest, and I don't think they're out of line, that Naomi's plan here is for Ruth to seduce Boaz and maybe become pregnant by him so that he is, they force his hand. Whether or not that's what happens is a totally different issue. But it does seem like Ruth, like Naomi has a plan that at least she's opening Ruth up to this possibility that by uncovering his feet um, and not approaching him until he's a little bit drunk and just the whole situation, dressing her up, all those things is, is in a way an attempt to seduce Boaz. So I think you mean this, but I, but I'm, uh, and I think you said this earlier, uh, What we're talking about is that Boaz is in good spirits. Yes. Right? He's um, he's under some sort of influence. There's an inebriation. You know, again, it's funny. You say drunk, and some people hear that, and it's like, oh. Uh, <laughs> right. And, and I get what you mean. Right. And I think half of our... We're, what we're talking about is he's in a good mood. Yeah. And he's loosened up. Yeah. Um, or he's completely... I don't think there's any reason to think he's like completely wasted, but I think there's good reason to think that he might be tipsy. He's nice. He's feeling good. And there's a communal thing to what's happening mm-hmm. here at the barley harvest, right? Like there's a whole bunch of people that are doing all this processing of their, they're processing their stuff together. Yeah. So they're eating together, they're drinking together, and there's so much work to be done. They're not going home. They're sleeping at the office. Yeah. Um, and sorry, get comfortable. They're sleeping at the office, and um, I, I mean, all I'm thinking about is um, the history of Moab, right? So this is not unlike what um, Lot's daughters do, yeah. right? They wait until their father is asleep and has drunk wine, and then they go and, um, and they become pregnant by him. Right. right, and now Ruth the Moabite is being asked to essentially do that same thing. I, you know, I would I would read it as her but, doing it in a, a a more just upright way, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, part of why I don't like the idea 
but there's definitely hints of this at like there's hints towards that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. That's yeah. Right. The the thing that keeps showing up is in this is Naomi Ruth and Boaz to each other act in honorable ways. And what I mean by that is uh well what I mean by it is what Paul says in in Philippians two. Like they're looking out not for their own interests, but the interests of others. This part of this way Paul describes the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ, is that you're aware and you're interested in um, the needs of the people around you. And part of why I don't, in my mind, I don't think anything happens between Ruth and Boaz because, right, she's not trying to pull off the shotgun wedding. Um, she's just saying she's being as forward as she can be. Right. Yeah. At a, at a minimum, Ruth is, or Naomi is asking Ruth to be very forward and is at least, if Boaz is not, as honorable as he turns out to be, there's for sure the possibility that there's a seduction that happens and that um, they trick him in to it. And perhaps this is because maybe Naomi has not been the one around Boaz, so maybe she's not seen. I don't know if she's just not seen Boaz for who he is and trusting who he is, that she thinks the opportunity to possibly trick him into marriage is, is viable. But there's this, okay, wait and see what Boaz does. But, but we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that this thing happens. Here, here's how I'm imagining yeah. this. All right. And this actually tips to something you and I were talking about earlier. <clears throat> um, maybe Boaz just is not going, if, if Boaz is single and if the statement about Ruth not running after younger men is an indication that Boaz is an older man, Mm-hmm. So right, let's just say Ruth is thirty, and say Boaz is forty-five. Yeah. I, I'm sure somebody somewhere, but we don't know. But if we do that sort of thing, you know, maybe Boaz is just shy. Maybe Boaz isn't like Naomi's. <laughs> Naomi knows who Boaz is, and knows that Boaz isn't going to make the first move, and so sure, she's just. Case name. Well, I was every sort of metaphor or like idiom now is she's just greasing the wheel. Um, she's just helping things move forward as f- in the most forward way it can possibly be done, right. while still engaged in the mutuality of of the other. Yeah. Right. Like there's a protection of the reputations on everyone's, and and Boaz is going to follow the process. He's like, listen. Yes, and we've we've got to talk to and if and if it if this other kinsman redeemer, this one who's in line before me, says yes, then good, you're cared for, mm-hmm. and if not, then then I will care for you. Yeah. Oh, I I totally agree. I don't think anything actually happens. Yeah, yeah. I don't think the text supports that primarily because Boaz is just he is he comes across as a man above reproach in this situation that. Um, He's care. You know, he doesn't just kick her out in order to, you know, remove all doubt or whatever. Like he still cares for her, but then cares for her reputation. But his, you know, he's like, I gotta, I gotta double check that this other guy doesn't want you first because, I mean, as much as that makes her sound like property, but that's just the way things worked. 
in this time. And he, you know, there could be implications for him if he doesn't check with this other closer relative first. Right. Um, but yeah. So, um, so Ruth, Ruth moves forward and does what Naomi's asking her. Yeah. Right. Knowing that this is a pretty forward action for a woman to take in these days. Um, I'm assuming it, Moab probably wasn't significantly different in some of these regards than Israel um, at the time. But um, And so she does this. She uncovers his feet and lays down um, underneath his feet. So it's um, most assumed that because of the way the language works that she's, you know, she's laying at the, at the bottom of his feet. She's not laying next to him. She's underneath his feet, which is a place where servants would have slept with their masters. And she then identifies herself as his servant. So there's every reason to believe she's just, she has not done anything other than uncover his feet, perhaps to, um, even though there's allusion to nakedness with that uncovering, it also just, if someone's feet get uncovered in the night, they're more likely to wake up and because their feet are cold and then notice you. Right. down there so it may have just been this was an avenue for her to be noticed um by him which works because he wakes up and mm-hmm. finds her um and then she says this uh i am ruth your servant may you spread your wings your wing over your servant for you are a redeeming kinsman and um maybe this phrase sounds a little familiar because last week back in verse uh, in two twelve. um Boaz says to Ruth, may the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come to shelter. Um, So he's already used this wings language, which now she's using here about him being the one that would cover her with his wing. Um, So there's an allusion to verse 12 of chapter two. Um, But also, so in that same Ezekiel passage, 16 Ezekiel 16 verse 8 um, this covered with your wing is um, an allusion to marriage specifically um, and Rashi agrees with that Rashi is a um, Jewish rabbinical great Hmm. so um, so in a sense there's a way where she's and she's asking him to marry her this is a marriage proposal least potentially I, I love boaz's response yeah he calls it a, a it's a deed of loyal love a, a deed of great loyal love that's greater than what she's done before yeah this is that hesed love right so we've again we're just pushing on this this notion that how these people are behaving to each other yeah and is, that that you have done better or is Tov again. Yeah. That's the third time it appears in chapter three. So, so you have done Tov in your latest kindness. So, I just love that what we have happening here is happening at night. Oh, say more. Um, well, when something happens, the, the, especially when we initiate something just brings with it a lot of uh, information about, about the initiator. (laughs) Um, So like Nicodemus goes to Jesus at night and 
you can say he was ashamed, which is an interpretation. What you can say, you can say that he was being cautious about who saw. There was stealth <laughs> to it. And that would, I think, be more more certain, less interpretive, right? The interpretation is that it's because Nicodemus is ashamed. Nicodemus could have gone to, gone to see Jesus at night because he was concerned about Jesus. There, we don't exactly know the motivations, but what we do know is what the behavior signals to us. Does that make sense? Yep. And so we've got we've got that sort of thing existing here, where um, there's a way in which the question is being asked that is given privacy. And there seems maybe to be an urgency here. And then I'm drawn back to the, you know, one of those things that you don't notice until you start really paying attention to some of the more, like, obvious surface things in Scripture, but then recognizing there's some meaning there. And And in the days of creation you see that it's actually the evening that starts the day not not the sunrise but it's the sunset right yep. there was evening there was morning and the same thing will happen you know even today shabbat um, starts the sabbath starts friday night at sunset yep and the the new day begins at dusk not at dawn right and so we have set here some stealth or some privacy given to what's conspiring or transpiring between these three people. But we also have it being placed sort of within the framework of a beginning, of a new beginning, of a start um, to to something new. It's happening at night. It's happening as the things begin. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just love that notion of, you know, this is, of of new things start in darkness, right? Seeds are planted in, they're covered. Um, they begin in dark. And here we have this beginning, this new beginning for Ruth, Boaz, Naomi, for all of us. Um, because we're reading this like, I mean, because of Ruth and Boaz. Right. Right. And everything begins in the unknown. Don't know how it's going to turn out. Right. But if you don't ever try you don't ever go you don't ever say okay you don't ever take the direction here of sort of the midwifing the uh the 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 matchmaker of the and i mean it in like all of the ways um then you just forever find yourself sitting on a chair waiting for life to happen to you and i love it that's the um there's this quote this this phrase from T.S. Eliot's The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock. And he asks this question smack dab in the middle. He says, do I dare disturb the universe? Hmm. And I, I think fundamentally that's the question all of us have. And here you have Ruth and Naomi and Boaz disturbing the shape of things, but they're motivation to disturb the shape of things, right? They don't have some grand vision about the future here. They have one thing in mind, survival. Right. They just want to live. Yeah. And they just want to eat. 
They want to be warm. Yeah. They want a home. They want a home. Yeah, it reminds me of um, when the Israelites are at the um, at the Red Sea, and they're like, I think Moses at first is like, we're just going to sit here and wait to see what God will do. <laughs> and and for good reason, because so right. far they've... I mean, they've they've been asked to do a few things, like they, had, you know, the whole Passover thing, but um, you know, for the most part, God has just done all the things. Or when it came to Passover, they were given specific instructions: this is what you are to do, so that you know the spirit of death will pass over your body or over your households. Right. So then they're given clear instructions that they then follow. So in this moment, when you know they're faced with the sea and the Egyptian army at their tail and they're just like well we just sit back and wait for god and god's answer is like no right what are you doing forward which i mean let's give them some credit here though because the where are they gonna go um you know and but god wants them to just keep moving forward in faith and then he's gonna open the sea for them um sometimes we there's action on our part um you know that is required and um you know, then when the Israelites cross over the Jordan to enter into the promised land, right? Like he doesn't divide the sea for them before they start walking, which maybe before that's, they take steps. It's a throwback to the first time when he really wanted them to just move forward on their own without waiting. This time, that's that's the command: is you have to step in, step into the water before it's going to clear, and um, and that's a, that is a scary thing. So, because. At certain times of the year, the, the Jordan is in flood stage and it's rushing pretty fast. And right. um, we're led to believe that that's the time of year this is that they're crossing over. Where it's um, other times of the year, you look and you're like, "That's not a big deal." Right. <laughs> like it's not even that wide in some spots. Um, actually, particularly in the crossing spot, at least currently today, it's not. It's fa- it's, it's not that hard, wide. Yeah, it's heartbreaking how far the water's gone down. Right. But that's also, I mean, this was has been thousands of years, so yeah, there's been a lot of shifts and changes in the climate. And... Uh, I also love this idea that, um, so if we're back in Exodus, um, well, no, if we if we if we tip back right to like Genesis twelve one, we have God telling Abram to go to a land that God will show mm-hmm. him and. And it's the language is how I just said it, right? There's a showing that happens after or as you're going. Right. It's not go here, but it's go to a land I will show you. And you have sort of that same thing functioning here in at the at the sea at the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds in Exodus 14. And you have, and I just think that scene is so funny. I can't decide how I want to read it. So I just read it three, four different ways, right? I run back and forth. But in one sense, you're like, calm down, God. Because they're, like Moses is like, be still and wait, wait and watch, right? It's Psalm 46, be still and know that I am the Lord. It's sort of that moment. And then God's like, what are you doing? Go. And like you said, it's like, where are we supposed to go? So in one sense, you have sort of like, this sort of comedy where it's like God's a little difficult to deal with sometimes, <laughs> which yes, um, or we're difficult for God, you know, uh, yes, yeah. all of the above. But I wonder too if it functions also in a way where there's a, a sequence. I almost said a sequence. There's a sequence to how things happen, and the going always 
pers- always follows the waiting or there's a way in which going follows waiting and it isn't until the the people stop and go wait where are we going that then the voice says go because right what we're trying to learn how to do here is walk with god um not to get out in front of god but to does that make sense yeah yeah and and then there's sometimes when it's like well take the step right (laughs) and then the then the things move yeah we we want it to always be a formula that like when you're you're presented with a hard situation or whatever that you do this and this and this and then god will show up and scripture over and over again shows us that there's no set pattern like sometimes it's there's about, no formula sometimes it's about waiting for god like sometimes we are supposed to sit back and wait for god to act and move and other times we're like no you're supposed to move forward and take action and do what you can do right um because it's just there's there's no formula and the good thing that's i think like uh, the thing that's underneath it that does the good is the the trust that right like that there's a trust that exists in between in the relationship and that's the thing that's Im- unimpeachable yeah when you're when you are living from a place of trust it does not mean you will not make mistakes it does mean that when you make a mistake, the, the turning, the returning, the shifting, the course correction that the Spirit offers. Because, so there was a verse in last week's lectionary. Um, it's the parable of the landowner who invites folks to go work in his vineyard. And the landowner goes out at at dawn, at nine, at noon, at three, and at five, and then pays them all the same. Right. And there's a question that comes at the 5 p.m. at the very end when the landowner goes out and, and asks the people, and he says, why are you standing here idle? And how do you say that? Do you say it, what are you doing standing here idle, you lazy, good-for-nothing, you know, freeloading, fill in your blank yeah. or do you say it with compassion with generosity with an actual question yeah why are you standing here i've got work for you why are you Come standing on. here idle like what's tell me your story how did, how did you get here yeah and and then right what they say is well nobody would hire us which means could mean a bunch of things it could be right. bs cuz we all you know if you've been a teenager or you know knew a teenager or you know a teenager, you know that sometimes the truth isn't what's said. Well, I didn't know what to do. Yeah, you did. You just, you could figure it out if there was candy or a video game. Um, but, or, or they really, really truly mean it. Like, no, there's something about us that is deficient or we think is deficient that we think removes us from the possibility of entering into what's happening here. And so we're just here because life is, life is hard and we're just, we're just standing around waiting for the end. And how you read that phrase, how you hear that phrase says a lot. Yeah. Because it's a question of, it's just a question. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. 
Should we wrap up here or should we keep going? No, you're at a hard time stop today, so. Yeah. I mean, what do you, you got anything else to hit before we go? Um, I don't know. I just, there's a couple of words that like play into things that have happened earlier that, I mean, I could pop through them real quick and people could take a look at them later if they want. Or, um, the first is in verse 13 when Boaz calls her a worthy woman or an Ishet Shael. Oh yeah. Um, which is what he's called, but the masculine version (laughs) earlier in chapter two. Um, so he is a, a worthy man and she is a worthy woman. Um, and, um, and he sees that in her, um, when he asks her to spend the night, that words, uh, spend the night is the same word as in chapter one, verse 16, when Ruth says, where you, uh, where you lodge, I will lodge. It's the same word. You have spent, you have actually the phrase spend the night or is that you shorthanding it? No, or? that's what's, that's the translation that Alter went with. What do you have? Is that 313? Yeah. Yeah, what do you have? Lie down until morning. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and it is it is morning. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's Boker. So it's it's um. Lie down until the until the breaking forth until the dawning. Yeah. The altar translation is super interesting because it's not literal. Correct. So night is in there. It's lodged tonight and in the morning. And when it becomes the morning. So both night, evening and morning are in that. Uh, in verse 13. Um, but I just, I find it interesting that it's it's just the same word she uses for that. I, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will mm-hmm. stay. Um, that he's using that same word here to stay. Um, and then the other thing real quick is, so verse 17, and he puts, he puts a bundle of barley, six shares of barley for her so that she would not come empty handed to her mother-in-law. And it just reminded me of the, um, Naomi had returned empty Hmm. and here Ruth goes out empty Mm -hmm. to Boaz's house and returns full, um, and full in more ways than one. Do you do you make any anything of the six? I mean, I didn't I didn't do a ton of work on that, but I just uh, the immediate and I hadn't yeah. thought about it, but immediately I just was thinking about the six days of creation. Like there was a fullness yeah. of the work of all of the um right, if it's not just I, I typically don't okay. think we're getting we're getting numbers for details like we are interested in some of maybe like our newspaper right Mm -hmm. like there's a it's not reporting on facts it's reporting on facts that have to do with things and so i just assume that there's a an attachment here of i think you're right i mean and then in that same verse for the man will not rest if he does not settle the matter today Mm -hmm. so there's even the idea of the six and then the resting so maybe there is i mean the fact that six and rest are in the same verse maybe Maybe yeah. not coincidental. Yep. 
So, um, but yeah, that it, I, that's an that's interesting too. Because the, the chapter started out with kind of an allusion to Genesis, with the Tove and settled place, and there's connection to Abram's story in this whole passage, and yeah, right. I don't know, but I do think that by sending her home with this stuff, it's a way of him saying, "You will be empty no more." Oh, for sure. To 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 both Ruth and Naomi, that this is it, it's all going to be good. There's there's some so many things here that indicate this way of knowing each other that's happening like deeply underneath. Like Boaz to to me seems to understand that Naomi is helping Ruth learn how to navigate the society that she's a part of in ways that are right. Like this is in my mind, this is the most forward Ruth could be without crossing an un without, you know, going too far. And so I think Ruth is, Boaz is also communicating with Naomi with this, right, with this food, like Naomi, it worked. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, Again, I don't, we don't know it, but it would seem like that's part of what's happening. Right. Because, I mean... Boaz is going to go out and talk to this other Redeemer guy. So in one way or the other, this thing's going to get resolved because either this other man's going to do it or Boaz is going to. Right. So. Your future is secure. Yeah. All right. All right. Well. Here we go. As we like to say, so long. Farewell. Farewell.